Welcome to the Question Community Broadcast. The Question is a new disruptive community that provides a gathering place for those who wonder about our complex selves, our complex world, our complex universe. We are a non-religious and inclusive community that explores the many questions surrounding truth in order to encourage you on the important journey to find your own answers. The Question Community gathers every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary, starting at 7. Information on the community is available at our website, www.thequestion.ca. You can also join the community online at our Facebook page, which is The Question, and on Twitter, at TQCom, with two M's. You're now going to hear some highlights from our community gathering, where the question is asked through original arts and music, as well as thought-provoking presentations. This is Frederick Tamagi. So I was thinking about what kind of presentation, uh, what kind of question I wanted to share with the community tonight before we take a time out for the next couple of months. We are going to take a time out coming back in September. Now, over the last nine months, we've shared, absorbed, discussed, <laughs> and debated questions of quantum consciousness, myth and science, uh, the true meaning of words, the true power of words, the choice between coincidence and synchronicity, and even the complexity and mystery of love. As you can see, we have uh, our uh, beloved symbol of love at the end here, puppy monkey baby. I couldn't get him out of my head. I had to bring him back, okay? <laughs> and now he's in your head again. Okay, our mission, if I can safely use that word in the most non-militant, non-religious way possible, has been to provoke a new openness to mystery, to inspire a new resistance to rigidity, and invite people into a new form of community. Now that new form, is an intentionally open and even brave community of thoughtfulness and exploration. For the really important missions in life, we're often not completely sure if we've succeeded or even if we're succeeding. And even after many, many hours of thinking, writing, discussing, and reflecting, and many, many digital bytes of recording, editing, posting, and messaging, right, David? We're still motivated, oddly enough, to continue on uh, in the hope that the mission and the community are gradually succeeding. Now, with the intent of self-checking on the status of our mission, I looked at what I had written for the very first community gathering last September, which now seems like so many questions ago. And I thought it would be worthwhile to remind us a little of the mission profile that we shared at the beginning to see if it still rings true with you, for those of you that have been with us from the beginning. Don't hesitate to say if it does or doesn't. Now, E.L. Doctorow, the famous American author, was mentoring a young writer who was very interested in understanding the secret of Doctorow's celebrated literary success. The renowned author shocked the student when he shared his fundamental process for writing. He said, writing is like driving at night in the fog. You can only see down the road as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. Now, I paraphrased Dr. Rowe in my first introduction as I tried to explain the mission of the question community. I encouraged everyone that night to make a decision to jump in the vehicle, turn on the headlights, and begin the long, challenging drive to an as yet unknown personal destination. And yes, 
I also said that our community could and would do the whole trip that way. Now, we navigate the questions of life just like a car navigates the road on a foggy night. Our exploration of those questions illuminates the path to unknown answers, just as headlights illuminate the road to an unknown destination. It's quite possible that in the last nine months, the only significant answers that we've discovered so far are, one, that the fog is really, really thick. Two, that the destination is still very distant and very unknown. And three, that the drive itself is actually pretty interesting, even though you can't really see where it may be leading. Now, perhaps that's why it's interesting. The question community is kind of like the car, and you and I are together driving the car, and we work the headlights. Okay, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking he's going to spin out yet another strange metaphor, like puppy monkey baby, um, <laughs> to mess with our heads. Uh, and perhaps you'd be right. Now, we live in a constant tension between our desire to know, our curiosity, and our resistance to being told what we know, our cynicism. Our curiosity causes us to seek an answer or a destination, but at the very same moment, being told what we know by someone else often triggers a fog of intense cynicism, which causes us to ask a lot of intense questions before we can reach any important answer. Those intense questions represent our version of headlights on the bright setting. Now sometimes, the more important the answer, the more difficult it is to ask the hard questions. Now, everyone who's driven in fog knows that headlights on bright can actually make thick fog much worse to drive in, right? Okay, now we find it difficult to ask hard questions and that's because asking hard questions is hard. So hard in fact that I guess I'm saying sometimes the questions themselves, if they're important enough, can be like a destination because of the struggle it can be just to ask. The question community doesn't want to be anything other than a dependable, well-used vehicle for your personal road trip of truth, but you still have to drive. This is why we didn't name the community the answer, because we can't say what the answer may be for each of you. Our mission is simply to inspire you to ask. And like I said, asking can be a little like arriving for those really hard, really important personal answers that we seek. Which brings me to my presentation. Because after nine months of the question community, I realized that I'd never really offered up the question about questions themselves and how they influence us, how they shape us, and ultimately how they define us. So tonight, I do want to offer up some food for thought about questions and whether or not there are some important questions that are more important. Now, where I want to start with this is to comment about how difficult it is to engage the problem of important questions without trying to contradict my own weird metaphor. Sometimes the questions themselves can be another kind of fog on the road to truth. Remember I said it was cynicism before, but now I'm saying that questions actually can be like fog. Not so much because they provoke us toward cynicism, but because they condition us toward apathy. Have you ever stopped to think about your normal inner dialogue and how many questions do you ask yourself every single day? Now, for example, a few mornings ago, in a kind of self-test, I asked myself six questions before I even got out of bed. 
Okay, starting with what time is it? And ending with, do I need to get fully dressed before I open the front door and retrieve the newspaper? Okay, there will be no public answer to that question, by the way. Okay. These six questions took less than two minutes to ask and answer and represented only a tiny fraction of the inner questions that I asked myself during the course of the day, which I estimate to be in the hundreds. You know, uh, questions like, what's the traffic going to be like? And if the traffic is heavy on this road, what other road could I take? Followed by, uh, how much time will that add to my trip? Right? Followed by, and what if the detour makes me late for my meeting? Followed by, followed by, followed by. You get what I'm talking about, right? Okay. It struck me that one could argue that many, if not all of the details of our day-to-day -day lives are triggered, adjusted, and changed by inner questions. It also struck me that we don't think of this immense daily succession of questions as being dramatically important to our lives. They're more like uh, the endless scenery passing by our car window on a long highway trip. So whether you think of these inner dialogue questions as just passing scenery in the highway or the fog obscuring the road ahead, they can seem, well, kind of unremarkable, can't they? This is mainly because we are so conditioned, one, to asking these unremarkable questions every day, and two, to asking so many of them. They become almost like breathing. And we forget just how important they are to navigating our daily lives. And just like breathing, we take our inner dialogue for granted, even though if either our breathing or our inner dialogue ceased, so likely would we. Now, I want to further develop the scenery metaphor to illustrate how intention can transform something that we take for granted into something that we must explore and even confront. When I was a child, I remember taking those long family road trips to BC during the summer holidays. Now, going through the mountains, the spectacular scenery held our attention for a while, okay? But after an hour or so, the scenery became like, well, that inner dialogue I described, monotonous, routine, unremarkable, as it passed by our car window. Every once in a while, I'd see a tiny stream of water or even a small waterfall tumbling down the rocks beside the highway. Now, do any of you know what I'm talking about? You've seen this right when you drive through BC? Now, I remember these streams and waterfalls captivating my interest, like little jewels breaking out from the boring, monochromatic walls of rock that seemed to never end. I remember asking my father, who was driving, to stop the car so I could stand next to one of these waterfalls and see it up close. Now, in a not unkind way, he told me that we couldn't stop because it was such a long drive and he wanted to get to our destination sooner. But I persisted. Now, that's my nice adult way of saying that I was kind of an annoying child, okay? <laughs> Finally, as we passed one of these waterfalls, he slowed down and stopped the car. He backed the car up on the shoulder, and suddenly there we were, right next to one of these tiny waterfalls. Now, I still remember the noise of the water tumbling down the rock into the little basin next to the ditch. I even remember the fresh smell of the water and the coolness of the droplets as they splashed off the cliffside on my arms and my face. Now, I had brought a small plastic cup with me from, from the car, and I put the cup under the stream of water for a moment. And then I brought the cup to my mouth and took a sip. And then a whole gulp, okay? To this day, 
That was the freshest, coldest, best drink of water that I have ever had. It was, in a small way, a transforming experience for me, which never would have happened had I just accepted the scenery passing outside the car window. This is Miles Patterson. I'm really honored to be here. Um, just wanted to read a quote that I came across today from uh, Neil Gaiman before I get into my work. And uh, it's from his new book, uh, The View from the Cheap Seats. I hope none of you are here for answers. Authors are notoriously bad at answers. No, that's not right. We're not bad at them. We come up with answers all the time. But our answers tend to be unreliable, personal, anecdotal, and highly imaginative. These things can be drawbacks as far as answers go if you're hoping to use our answers in your lives. But they are all good things, not drawbacks, when it comes to questions. Authors are good at posing questions, and our questions are often pretty solid. Yeah, that just struck me like, that's very pertinent to this evening, so. All right, so I'm just gonna go into my first poem. Uh, it's called Candlelight, and uh, I was, I had just come out of a relationship when I wrote this poem, and I was wondering what my life was all about, and, uh, and so, I, uh, so I wrote it, and I was feeling really depressed, and not in a good place, so. So, it's called Candlelight. Here I am, once again, contemplating my reflection. The eyes are mostly empty, except for a small light distant in the iris. Perhaps it too is only a reflection, a light from the ceiling caught in the eye. I do not know what the light is. Is it life, what the darkness has not snuffed out with its candle snuffer fingers? Still, the light persists, even though it is small. I wait for you to enter through the door. And when you do, you will find me laying on the floor. It is not for you to know what I am looking for. Shapes appear on the ceiling, squares, triangles, spirals, your face, the love we made, the patterns of my mind, my life put on rewind. I wait, I wait for you alone. And far above my head, the zodiac circles in a mysterious orbit, a path I will never know. It is a mystery, the unknown, a reflection of my own heart. Orion chases Scorpio across the sky each day and night, and I flee from the darkness. But there is no horizon for me to cross, to rise from, or set on. There is no end until my heart is dead. Thank you. Now, consider for a moment that there might be an inner dialogue version of this waterfall story. Now, some of you may know uh, that I'm a songwriter, but you may not know that I've been working on a record for, of my original songs. I've been involved in the project for over a year and hope to have the record finished finally by the end of this summer. So in addition to our common inner dialogue of what time is it, what's the traffic going to be like, etc., we can add another layer of inner dialogue, particular to a songwriter recording an album. 
Now that inner dialogue is full of questions about creativity, acceptance, insecurity, competitiveness, inspiration, envy, and fear. In the months of writing songs and planning an album, yet another metaphorical foggy road looms ahead. And as I said before, these questions about creativity, acceptance, insecurity, and the like can become like the fog or the highway scenery. So for example, talking with other friends and songwriters who are on a similar road, but perhaps with different destinations in mind, caused me to ask these questions. Are my songs too long? If you want any radio play, or don't wish to overload attention spans, your song shouldn't be any longer than three and a half minutes. Is that right, Jonathan? Right, okay. Is my song structure listener friendly? You should not have any long double verses. You should have a great hook in the chorus and a proper bridge. Okay, that's just good song structure for the listener. Are my songs upbeat and catchy? Or emotional, but not too dark? Okay. Or poetic, but not too complicated? Remember that art is for the audience. You don't want to lose them, or worse, have them tune out. Okay, so you get what I mean. Now, David Andrew Weeb, over here, uh, in addition to being uh, our tech and social media host, is also our resident music entrepreneur. Right? You can find him at dogcast.com. I'll give you a little plug, right? And I know you can relate to this inner dialogue. You have this discussion with songwriters and musicians all the time, right? How do I get on the radio? How, right? So I'm sitting in my practice room, writing a new song for the album, and my inner dialogue is uncomfortably in highway cruise mode. Okay, it goes something like this. Okay, how long is this song so far? It's four and a half minutes. Crap. Now, did that profound thought you had result in a nice, tidy, single verse? Nope, it's a double verse. Crap again. So which category of song did I write here? Uh, upbeat, catchy, uh, emotional, dark, but not too dark, right? Actually, it's neither. It's pretty catchy, but it's way beyond too dark, okay? Crap again. Now, just to keep you tracking with me metaphorically, these questions are the endless scenery whizzing by, okay? And the responses are the briefest glimpses of water streaming off the cliffside. Then suddenly, in my own metaphor, inside my own metaphor, my father stops the car and backs up on the shoulder of the highway. I finally get to stand next to the waterfall and drink. So the very next question in my songwriter's inner dialogue is, why? Why do I have to write songs that way? So another transformation has just taken place by the waterfall. My transformed response to that question is now this, okay? I've ended up making a record where pretty much every song is around five minutes, okay? <laughs> With many double verses. And where catchy, dark, and complicated all cohabit the tunes, okay? <laughs> Uh, and where I accept the possibility of losing the audience so that I don't get lost myself. Now, let me ask you this. When was the last time you intentionally slowed down your inner dialogue so that the assembly line of questions which dictate your life weren't just like endless scenery passing by your window? When was the last time you sensed a more important question that emerged like a waterfall from your inner dialogue?
When was the last time you stopped to drink at that waterfall and finally asked that question? When was the last time? Fourth century Greek philosopher and teacher Socrates is another inspiration for the question of community. He asserted that knowledge and truth are best obtained and understood through relevant questions, followed by more questions, prompting even more questions. The Socratic culture of questions isn't just our community inspiration, but it's also the cornerstone of all higher learning in the modern world. The Socratic method is teaching by asking rather than by telling. It is the student learning from questions they are asked, but also learning from questions that they themselves ask. Now, I was struck by three special quotes from Socrates because they're not so much about the method of teachers or scholars or scientists, but remarkably, they are about the importance of our inner dialogue. Not the questions that we're asked, but the inner questions that we ask of ourselves. Not the questions that represent the routine scenery of our inner dialogue, but those questions that represent the roadside waterfalls of our inner dialogue. Here they are. I cannot teach anybody anything. I can only make them think. An unexamined life is not worth living. And to move the world, we must first move ourselves. Let's kind of reflect on those for a moment. Taken together, these statements may represent the deepest version of the Socratic method. Socrates is not only pointing to our inner dialogue, but he's also warning us about those incessant, routine, even meaningless questions that appear important, but make no real difference to the world. Scenery. He's encouraging us to look deeper inside our inner dialogue for the most important questions that are meant to transform us first and then possibly transform the world, the waterfalls. Are some questions more important? Now, to this point in the presentation, I may not have done much more than illustrate the possibility that not all questions are created equal, and that we have to be especially intentional and especially vigilant about the stifling blanket of questions that make up our inner dialogue, and therefore, much of our life. Our inner dialogue contains two basic kinds of questions, constantly in motion, and mysteriously intertwined. The first kind are the questions that keep us comfortable and inform us. The second kind are the questions that disturb us and then transform us. This is Miles Patterson. Fuck death. Eat shit. Freak out. Sneak out. Creep out. Keep the secret. It's the flavor of the month. Something of love. A taste of life. Strawberries. Whipped cream. The universe is delicious. You smell like tangerines and cigarettes. Hey, where'd you get those hippie shirts? I'll trade you one for a dollar. Don't look at me like I'm a droid. I don't like you either. You're not welcome here. Go away. See the sights. Play the piano. 
play Cloud Atlas. Everything is a miracle, especially on 34th Street. Isn't it amazing, all the people of the world, all the friends I have, from Grand Prairie to Perth, from Victoria to Kathmandu, it's absolutely incredible. So what are we going to do when the food runs out? Will we read Bukowski? Will we listen to Mozart? Will we watch Star Wars? Will we keep ignoring this phantom menace? Will we look to Darth Vader, our master of the universe, a new hope for this world? What are we going to do when the unsustainable no longer sustains? This is part one of this presentation. Part two will be continued in the next podcast episode. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in joining the Question community, we meet every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary starting at 7. You can participate in the online discussion on our Facebook page, which is The Question, or on Twitter at TQCom. That's at T-Q-C-O-M-M. Our website is www.thequestion.ca. Thanks again for listening, and remember that our answers are only possible because of our questions.